focusing on the good things God has done in our lives. Next on Abounding Grace. God is working in our lives and he sees us. He sees the finished product in us. I know we don't see it. All we see is the progress. We see the incremental progress. And I know that each one of you as believers, if you will look back at your life, I know you had setbacks and I know you've had stumblings. But listen, can I just ask you not to focus on the setbacks and the stumblings, but rather see the progress that God has made in your life? It'll encourage you. That is, of course, if you're li- unless you're living in sin today. Then it's really hard to see anything but that sin, isn't it? It's hard to see anything. You've presented yourself to sin and now you've become a slave to sin. You need to present yourself to God and become a slave of righteousness. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You From Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado comes Abounding Grace. Pastor Ed Taylor is leading us through Romans right now, and we've slowed our pace down here in chapter 8 due to his rich contents. We've noticed in recent broadcasts that the believer can rest in the knowledge that God loves us. He's drawn us and chosen us too, but it gets even better. He's also glorified the believer, and that has both a present and future application. Here's Pastor Ed with the exciting details. Well, it is important that we understand who God is. And God's revealed himself to us through the glorious teaching of his word. He has given us doctrine, sound teaching. Because when we come to Romans chapter 8, verse 28, and we're told that we know that God is working all things together for good for those who love him, those that are called according to his purpose, that all things are working together for good by God, we really need to know who that God is. We can't make a God up in our own image. We can't reduce God to the image of a man or an idol or a statue. And fortunately, God has revealed himself to us. And so Paul not only tells us that God is working all things together as we've seen and spent time studying, but then he begins to describe the God who's at work in our lives. And he says in verse 29, for whom he foreknew. And so we looked at the God of foreknowledge. That how God, he has foreknowledge, he knows all things, and because he knows all things, we can trust him. That whether things are good or bad, surprise to us or not, God knows and we can trust him. And it says in verse 29, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And because God knows all things, he predestines. And we spent time looking at the doctrine of predestination. That glorious and wonderful truth that God, he predestines. And there's a tension, is there not, between the sovereignty of God and the free will of man. And we studied the glorious God who predestines. And then he says in verse 30, moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. And that's what we looked at the last time we were together, the calling of God. Now, this isn't the calling of God in relationship to your giftings and how God wants to use you, but rather this is the calling of God in this world, calling people to himself for salvation. That God, those that are called, are those in whose hearts the Holy Spirit works to lead them to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And so unless God calls you, you can't come. And let me tell you, if you hear the call of God today in your life for salvation, 
If you sense the stirring in your heart of the conviction of sin and your need for forgiveness by the blood of Jesus Christ, if I was you, I'd answer that call today. I wouldn't put off another week. I wouldn't put it off another day. I wouldn't say, well, great little sermon, pastor, great little information. I've done my duty at church today and I'm going to walk out of here not saved again. No, no, listen to the call of God and respond, receive. And every believer has been called by God. Then he says, in verse 30, For whom he called, these he also justified. Now, we're not going to look at justification in depth because we've already done that. And you can pick up the study that we studied through Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 31, on the doctrine of justification. Justification is a legal term. It's a declaration. It signifies how God sees a man, sees a woman, who's placed their faith in Jesus Christ. You have been made right, by faith in Jesus Christ before a holy and righteous God, so that when God sees you, he sees you hidden in Jesus Christ. You and I, we don't stand before God in our own righteousness, in our own good, good works, our own deeds, but we stand before God in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. A great way to remember the word justification, what it means, is just to break it down. God sees you just as if I never sinned. That's your position before God, and we spent a whole week studying that in a previous study. God's declaration upon your life. God sees you not in your own righteousness, but in the perfection of his son. Today, at the end of verse 30, notice, whom he justified, these he also glorified. And today we look at the doctrine of glorification. The glorification of a believer in Jesus Christ. Notice, Paul writes of it in the past tense. And I know that's a troubling for us because when we think of glorification, we think of future. We think of what will happen and how we will be made right, we'll be delivered from this body of death, we'll be in perfect glory in the presence of the Lord as we transition from this life to the next. But at the same time, Paul says, hey, in God's eyes, you and I as believers in Jesus Christ are already glorified. And that's a struggle for us in and of itself because when we think of life today, we don't think much about glorification, do we? We think more of struggles, difficulties, temptations, wrestlings. I mean, look at Romans chapter 7, just a page over. I think when you think of today, you probably relate more with verse 24 of Romans chapter 7 than you do of verse 30 of Romans chapter 8. And yet they're both true. Paul, after sharing his own struggles, think about that, Paul, an apostle, a man of God, a man that God used to write most of the New Testament, inspired by the Holy Spirit. He starts rest, talking about this wrestling with the flesh, and he comes to the conclusion in verse 24, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And we say, yes. We say the same thing. Facing temptations in our own life, facing the weakness of our own flesh, facing the difficulties, facing the bad decisions, facing the stumblings and the issues of the mind and the issues of the heart. I mean, when we think of glorification, it's very, very difficult for us to get past Romans chapter 7, verse 24, or even to get past Galatians chapter 5. Would you turn there with me? Galatians chapter 5, speaking of this present struggle that you and I have as believers, Paul speaks of it as the battle between the flesh and the spirit, the old life, the old sinful habit patterns in your life and mine raise up from time to time and battle with the spirit of God living through us to live a life that pleases God. That's where arguments come from. That's where fights come from. That's where sinful tendencies come from, our flesh. And so he says in Galatians chapter 5, draw your attention to verse 16. 
He says, I say then, walk in the Spirit. That word walk, you can circle it and write next to it. In your lifestyle, live in the Spirit. The manner of your life. Be a spiritual man, a spiritual woman. Be different than you were before you were saved. Live differently. Think differently. Do and be a different person because the Bible says in Jesus Christ, you and I have been born again. Born again. And so he says, walk in the Spirit. Make a decision to live in the Spirit. He says, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh, the battle of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, he says, and the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. I'll tell you, the more time you spend in spiritual discipline, the more easy it will be for you to walk in the spirit. I mean, spending your time in Bible study, for example, feeds your spirit. You're being fed right now spiritually. It's going to make it easier for you to walk in the spirit when you leave here today. As you're processing things in your mind, what I have found lately that as we're praying, we pray as a worship team before the service, and we pray a lot of times for our minds to be cleared of the things that are swirling around. We really need that. I mean, we not only need to pray for it, but during the song time of our service here together, we really need to allow the Holy Spirit to wash our minds of all the things that we're thinking about, all the things that have got our attention, all the things that we're worried about, all the things that are bringing great anxiety, all the things that we don't control, all the things that we're unsure of. They just crowd in, don't they? And if you're not careful, that's all you'll be thinking of right now as I'm talking. You won't hear a word I'm saying because you are so carried about with things that are going on, both good and bad both things under your control and things that aren't in your control. The battle of the mind. It's a battle of the flesh. That we walk in the Spirit. The more time you spend in spiritual things, the easier it will be to walk in the Spirit. So then the converse is, is true as well. The more time you spend in fleshly things, well, the easier you're going to find it is to walk and to live in the flesh. And this isn't some legalistic trip where Ed's going to tell you what to watch and Ed's going to tell you how, what to listen to and Ed's going to tell you what to read. Listen, the Holy Spirit tells you that already. You already know. You know the things that feed your flesh. You know the things that serve to take in your life and rise up not spiritual thoughts, but old sinful thoughts. They draw you away from God. And church, be careful. You go, well, Ed, what are the works of the flesh? Well, jump down to verse 19. Paul's clear. He says the works of the flesh are evident. It's very clear. Very clear that adultery is a work of the flesh. Fornication, uncleanness, licentiousness. All of those speak to sexual sin in all of its forms. Both outward and inward. Both with others or in your mind or in your thought. Both with a person or on the computer. It doesn't matter. Whether you're listening to it, you're watching it, you're participating in it, sexual sin is a work of the flesh. God desired and designed sex for within the confines of marriage. Anything outside of marriage is sexual sin. It's a work of the flesh. He says not just that though, verse 20, idolatry, sorcery, witchcraft, not good. It doesn't matter how the world has tried to make it look pretty and kind nice and witches and wizards are nice. No, sorcery is a work of the flesh. Hatred. Do you hate somebody today? I mean, really, can you step back and go, you know, I really hate him. I really hate her. That's your flesh. That's not coming from the Lord. That's not God's heart for you and where you're to be or me. Contentions is the next one. Are you fighting with someone today? 
I mean, are you in the midst of a battle? I know you're in church. I mean, you can't be fighting with someone right now, but are you in the midst of a battle? You're not willing to yield. You're not willing to make peace. You're not willing to say you're sorry. You're not willing to give in. You're just going to keep your dukes up, and you're going to fight contentions. It's a work of the flesh. He says, jealousies. Are you jealous right now? Are you jealous of your neighbor? Man, they just got that new car, and there your car is with only three wheels on it. You're like, oh, man. They got the one I wanted, the color I wanted. They even got a great deal on it. And here I am. My car doesn't even start, man. I have three wheels and the fourth one or the third one's falling off. And, you know, you're just jealous. You're jealous because that guy got the promotion at work and you didn't. You're jealous of your sister and her life or your brother and his life. You're jealous over here. It's a work of the flesh. It's that flesh in you that isn't content with where God has you today, not tomorrow, not next week, not five years from now, but just today, where God has you today. Jealousy is a work of the flesh, outbursts of wrath. Okay, so you're not angry all the time anymore. You're not screaming all the time anymore. You just scream sometimes. Okay, okay. The sometimes you scream, it's a work of your flesh. It's our flesh. It's our flesh wanting to get our way, and, and we think if we just raise our voice, we'll get some action. Not necessarily that inward anger that you've been delivered from, Christian. Selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies or false teachings. Verse 21, envy, murdering, even in the heart, Jesus said. Drunkenness. It's not good for Christians to be drunk. Listen, it's not good for Christians to be drunk. It's a sin. It puts you in a position where you're weak and no longer being controlled by the Holy Spirit. You're being controlled by alcohol. And let me tell you something. You're going to do something you're going to regret. And sometimes, under the influence of alcohol, I have found Christians and non-Christians alike do things that they regret for a very long time. Because if they were sober, they wouldn't have done it. Stay away from alcohol, church. It's not good for you. It's simply not good. It's a work of the flesh, drunkenness, revelries. That's another word for parties. And then Paul says, in case I missed anything, he says, and the like. Just to let you know, in case there's anything I missed, and you've got a certain fleshly thing in your life, it's not good. Walk in the Spirit. Notice he says, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So what happens as, Ed, just a believer, set my, me as a pastor aside for a second, just as a fellow believer, when I start seeing these things in a person's life and they're practicing them and that's the manner of their life and that's what you see all the time, you better be ready, if you're in my life, you better be ready for me to ask you the question, are you a Christian? Because Christians don't live this way. They don't live in the flesh. They don't have their mannerisms of the flesh. Wait a minute, Ed. Who are you to question my salvation? Listen, I'm a brother that loves you. That's who I am. And I just want you to be right with the Lord. And when I see people living this, well, I'm a Christian, man. I was in church on Sunday, but I live like the devil all week. Are you saved? Because saved people don't live that way. Do they battle with the flesh? Oh, yeah. Does it rise up from time to time? Oh, we all hate it when it does, right? I mean, come on. We're not looking at sinless perfection, but we are looking at a life that's controlled by God's Holy Spirit. What does that look like? Well, let me show you what it looks like. Verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Love. I mean, for many of you, you could look at your life and go, oh, I wasn't a very loving person now, but in Jesus Christ, I love people. I genuinely love. I genuinely care. My tears are no longer just for myself, but when I see someone hurting, I love them. I care for them. I'm willing to sacrifice for them. That's a mark of being a Christian. 
Not only love, but notice joy and peace. Not only are you a joyful person, but the turbulence of your soul, you know the peace of God. The Bible calls that peace the peace that passes all understanding. So that when you're living in peace and there's a calmness in your life, people are going, wait a minute. Didn't you just hear what the doctor said? Didn't you just read it? Didn't you just see it? Aren't you living your life? You go, yes, I'm living my life and I'm not happy what's going on, but I have the peace of God that passes all understanding. And I know you don't understand it because it's the peace of God that passes all understanding. And if you knew Jesus Christ, you would understand that God is my rock and he's my strength, and he's going to carry me through anything. You know, only a Christian can say that. Only a Christian can live that. Long-suffering. Some of you, that's your life. Your life has been characterized. It's been one long life of suffering. And you have found patience in the midst, because another translation translates that word patience. That a fruit of the Spirit is being patient, or, or from the original language, you get the idea of a long fuse bearing up under long-suffering. He says kindness. Some of you are kind now because of Jesus. Some of you are good now because of Jesus. Some of you have faithfulness now because of Jesus. Some of you are gentle now. That's what marks you. You're a gentle person. You have self-control. And he says against these things are no law. And I know because of our present day circumstance, we have a difficulty thinking of being glorified in the Lord. Of being in that place where God, although we wrestle today, although we deal with things today, as far as God is concerned, the moment you were justified, you and I were as good as glorified. That moment, that instant, that God is working in our lives and he sees us, he sees the finished product in us. I know we don't see it. All we see is the progress. We see the incremental progress. And I know that each one of you as believers, if you will look back at your life, I know you had setbacks and I know you've had stumblings. But listen, can I just ask you not to focus on the setbacks and the stumblings, but rather see the progress that God has made in your life? It'll encourage you. That is, of course, if you're li- unless you're living in sin today. Then it's really hard to see anything but that sin, isn't it? It's hard to see anything. You've presented yourself to sin and now you've become a slave to sin. You need to present yourself to God and become a slave of righteousness. That's God's solution for you. It's not to beat yourself up over it. It's not to say, oh, I can never change. I don't want to change. Uh, it's none of the, the Christian says, you know what? Lord, I recognize and I realize that I've let this in my life. I recognize and I realize that I have veered off the course and I present myself to you. Use me again. Wash me and cleanse me and change me from these bad habits. You see, as far as God is concerned, the moment you and I were justified, we were as good as glorified. And although for us it's still future, for God, outside of time, he sees, well, he sees the big picture. Would you flip over to Ephesians chapter 2? Let me show you. As Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus, he writes of both the future and the present. And that's the difficulty we have. We live life in a line. We live life linear. We live life day by day, week by week, month by month. And we see it on a line, and yet God is far above that, and he sees from the beginning to the end. And look at Ephesians. I love this. Galatians, Ephesians, chapter 2. Pick up with me in verse 4, would you please? Galatians chapter 2, after speaking about how lost we were, how difficult it was, how we once walked according to, the, to sin and the course of this world, he says, verse 4, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. He raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. In Jesus Christ, you and I are at rest in the Lord. 
I mean, it's happened. It's already happened, he says. He says, when you and I were saved, he has made us to sit down. We have rest in the Lord. But, he says, the future still has to come. It says, verse 7, Verse 6, he raised it up together, made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. You have the future and the present, and that is the battle. Paul says the God who foreknew you, the God who has predestined you, the God who has called you, the God who has worked in you, the God who is the God of all the universe, the God who has justified you, the God who greatly loves you, the God who has glorified you, he has completed that work, that he is in control, that the plan of salvation is purposeful and it's permanent in your life. Yes, there is an ultimate future glory to be seen. It's a pattern that Paul has used in Romans. Flip over to Romans chapter 5. We have this battle today, but don't let the battle dictate your life. You are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. You have been justified. You have been glorified. God knows you. He loves you. God in his sovereignty has drawn you. He's chosen to use you. I mean, it's just awesome. And yes, there's still yet that future sense of this glory. Look at Romans chapter 5. Pick up with me in verse 1. We have the present glory of God living out in our lives right now. I mean, some of the things that God has shown through your life is how your marriage has been saved, how your family's been saved, how you have shared the gospel, how you have persevered, how your prayers have been answered. I know it took 30 years for your prayers to be answered, but they have been. That God was walking you along the path. That he was strengthening you through it. And it says, notice, that's the present. But there's also future. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through whom also we have access by faith into this grace which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And still there's yet a future glory to look forward to. Thanks for studying alongside of us on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. If you'd like to hear this message from Romans again, go online to AboundingGraceRadio.org. Abounding Grace is also available by podcast. Look for Abounding Grace on your favorite platform. And we also offer an app, too. Search for Calvary Aurora in the App Store or Google Play. Pastor Ed, we have an excellent resource to tell our listeners about. What can you tell us about it? Well, our April resource is something that should be in every believer's library. It's a book entitled Faith by Pastor Chuck Smith. And I'm finding that this year our books are surrounding our pastor, Pastor Chuck Smith, as he's shared the word over the years. And this book on faith is a powerful resource. You know, the theme of our church this year is Into Faith We Go. It came to us first from a song by Pat Barrett, uh, entitled Into Faith I Go. And listen, if you have Spotify or Apple Music or Amazon Music, however you get music, take, some, take a moment and download the song. Download the whole album by Pat Barrett. I know Pat Barrett's name's not very popular, but if you're familiar with the song Good, Good Father, uh, sung by Chris Tomlin, Pat Barrett was one of the writers 
of the lyrics of that song. He's one of the writers of that song. Amazing man of God. I've gotten to, I've had the privilege of serving with him now a couple times at a couple different conferences. Amazing. The song is Into Faith I Go. And so the theme this year for us as a church is faith, stepping out in faith, moving forward by faith, obeying in faith. Uh, our studies have been on the topic of faith. We're in the book of Hebrews right now, chapter 11, the Hall of Faith, and now April's book is Faith by Chuck Smith. And it is a power powerful book filled with simplicity in its delivery of looking at different aspects of faith uh, that you might grow in your trust in God, especially in these last days. So pick it up, whether you get it through us and supporting the ministry, or you get it on Amazon or Kindle, get it, get it, get it, read it, and apply the truths contained therein. You'll be blessed because you did. When you give a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace, ask for a copy of Faith. Give us a call at 877-30-GRACE, and we can help you with that. That number again is 877-30-GRACE. Please also remember it's your financial support that helps us continue abounding grace on this station and many others like it. We're constantly hearing great reports of what God is doing in our listeners' lives, and your support helps to make that possible. So, thank you. You can make a secure donation online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Don't miss our next study in Romans here on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. May God richly bless you with His abounding grace. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You laid down your life. That I would be set free. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church Colorado here in Aurora.